Father, we lift up the shepherd of this flock, and Father, we ask that you would heal him. Lord God, we ask that you would heal his back and strengthen it. You would heal his mortal body and strengthen it, Lord God, to proclaim your word. And Father, we ask that you would anoint him with your Holy Spirit and empower him this morning to proclaim your word from this pulpit, Lord God. Embolden him, Lord God, to proclaim your word from this pulpit, to send your truth out from here, Lord God. And as your word is proclaimed, your faultless word is proclaimed, Lord God, we ask that you would open our hearts, open our ears, Lord God, open our minds. May we submit to the Holy Spirit and allow your word to have its perfect work in our lives today, that we would be changed, that we would be moving forward in your kingdom, Lord God, that we would be changed to be more like Christ, and we would be, like we studied last night, those witnesses of the light, just as John was, those witnesses of the light in this ever-darkening world. Father, we thank you and we praise you. We exalt you and lift you up. Be glorified in all that we say and all that we do this morning. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Pastor Phil. Okay, if you'd open up to uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll be looking at verse 24. We're continuing our series in the uh, Trinity Bible Fellowship Statement of Faith. Um, I want us to be real confident and knowledgeable about what we believe as Christians. What separates us from non-believers? What separates us from the world? What are those beliefs? And so we're going over the TBF Statement of Faith, and we'll start at 1 Peter 2.24. And so let's uh, go to the Lord one more time in prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we love you, Lord. And we thank you that even though we're sinners and we deserve the flames of hell, that you didn't just send us to hell, but instead you sent your Son, God the Son, become a man to die on the cross for our sins, to save us, and you raised him from the dead to conquer death for us. And so we long for the day when your son returns and we trust in him for salvation. Fill us with your spirit so that we could live lives pleasing to you and build your kingdoms, not our own. Until that day uh, when your son, the Lord Jesus, takes a stand upon the earth. And Lord, the people that are here today, they're here because they want to hear your word proclaimed, your truth. They're fed up with fake news. They're fed up with the lies of man and the deception of man. And so I pray, Lord, that you would cancel the man, that you would anoint me with your spirit to proclaim your truth, that you would use an imperfect man to proclaim your perfect word. And so I pray I would not lead anyone astray. I pray, Lord, that you'd open hearts and minds to receive truth from your word and give us the courage to test everything we hear with your word and empower us by your spirit to apply these truths to our lives so that we could live uh, for your son, the Lord Jesus, and not for ourselves. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Okay, so <clears throat> we've, we've been talking about the fact that the Bible is God's perfect word without error in the original manuscripts, and we have extremely reliable copies, so we can be confident that the translations we read today um, is... Uh, an accurate uh, presentation of God's perfect word. And so the Bible is God's 
final authority. It's, it's our final authority upon which all other things are to be tested. So, you know, when the government says something, I'm, you know, it's like, hey, you know, I'll test it with the word. If it passes the test, I'm good with it. But if the government or the powers that be contradict the word of God, then, you know, it's like Paul said, let God be true and every man a liar. And uh, Christians have been living by that formula for centuries in this country, and we were considered the best citizens. Now, all of a sudden, living on that same formula, all of a sudden, we're the bad guys in the eyes of the state. But uh, we may reach that point where with the apostles, we got to say we must obey God rather than men. But, um, but I don't care how powerful people are in the eyes of man, this is my final authority. The Bible is God's word. If God has spoken, it's, it's settled. Okay? And, uh, and so we believe in the Bible. We take it seriously. We believe there's only one God, but this one God eternally exists as three equal persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that this one God is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. We believe that humans are not alone. Not only is there the triune God, but there are created spirit beings called angels that exist. And angels sometimes even manifest themselves physically on planet Earth. Uh, but they're spirit entities. Now, angels who rebelled against God are called demons or unclean spirits. Satan is the highest of the fallen angels, and he leads the demons. Okay? So there is an enemy in this battle. Okay? And um, we're to pray to God to lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. The evil one is real, okay? Uh, there are now, by the way, there are now some thinkers and activists in America who for a long time have been non-Christian, if not anti-Christian, that with the growth of government, big government, and this big power play that's been going on, we now have some people, uh, I'm thinking of my mind, Naomi Wolf, that actually came to the realization that Satan is real. And then that led her to reflect upon her Jewish roots. She grew up Jewish, and, um, and she now embraces the God of, of Israel. And, uh, but she's actually reading a Jewish rabbi who is a Christian, uh, actually reading his books on the end times and saying, wow, this is... This makes more sense than anything else. So pray for her salvation. But there are people that because of Satan and his presence being so obvious in America today, in our world today, that they're saying, well, wait a minute. If the bad guy exists, then the good God must exist as well. But be aware of these, these um, angels and demons and, and, um, and Satan. We're not alone. And uh, we don't have authority Right now, over demons and Satan, only through Jesus we have authority over them. We can't go in our own strength. And, um, but there's a cosmic battle going on for the souls of human beings. And um, we need to engage in that battle through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we learned that man was created in God's image and perfect, but then man lost his moral purity by sinning in the garden. And because of that, we all inherit a sin nature going all the way back to Adam. And because we're, we inherit a sin nature, uh, we sin. That's just what we do. We're corrupted human nature, and we stand condemned 
before the holy God. Now, if that's all there was to it, we wouldn't be here today. But the Bible teaches that God loves us so much. Even though we were his enemies, even though we declared war on him, God loves us so much that he sent his son. Now, Jesus was always God and will always be God, the second person of the Trinity. When he became a man, he did not cease to be God. He's not a hybrid. He's not half God, half man. He's fully God. But by becoming a man, he added a human nature without subtracting from his divine nature so that Jesus is one person with two distinct natures forever. When he became a man, he was born to a virgin, the Virgin Mary. He lived a, and he, if you, you know, there's a church down the block. They put too much emphasis on Mary. Mary wouldn't want that. You know, the advice that Mary says very few things in the scriptures. Uh, one of the things she said at the wedding feast of Cana, she told the servants, do whatever my son tells you to do. That's what Mary's advice is. And Jesus never told us to venerate his mom. Okay. And, um, but uh, Jesus was born to a virgin. He lived a sinless and miraculous life. And then he took our punishment for us when he died on the cross as a substitute sacrifice for our sins. So 1 Peter 2.24, talking about Jesus, it says, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. King Jesus took our sins upon himself when he was nailed to the cross. 1 Peter 3.18, verse 18 there of chapter 3, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just, that's Jesus, for the unjust. Don't ever think you're not mentioned in the scriptures. You're mentioned a lot in the scriptures, you know, for all of sin and falls short of the glory of God. Um, God loves the world. I mean, you're mentioned in the scriptures. And, uh, but you're also mentioned right here, the just, that's Jesus, for the unjust. He suffered once for all for the unjust. That's you. And that's me. Okay? that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Okay? And, um, and so Jesus took our punishment for us. He died on the cross as a substitute sacrifice for our sins. You realize we could, we could walk up to people and we could honestly say, you know, we could walk up to the pagans, to anybody else, even to the, to the Jewish people who rejected their Messiah, so they don't believe that God's become a man. So they're, they're trying to please the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob without going through Jesus. That hasn't worked and it never will work. We've got to tell people. We've got we to gotta stop. You know, yeah, we, we don't boast in ourselves, but we've got to boast in Jesus more. We've got to tell people my God is bigger than your God, okay? My God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. My God is bigger than your God. Yeah, you know what else? But my God loved me so much that even though my God's bigger than your God, my God died for me. You go think about that for a minute or two. My God is so just that none of us can earn our salvation. We deserve hell. Yet my God is so loving, he sent his only son to be slaughtered as our substitute. 
to die in our place. So we got to tell this world. This world needs to hear. Don't be thinking about yourself. Oh, things are getting hot in the kitchen, and they're going to probably outlaw Christianity, and things are going to be so horrible for me, and this and that, and blah, blah, blah. Stop thinking about yourself and think about the others. Okay, we might get a few bad years, but then we got eternity with our king. Okay? They got the eternal flames out there. Eternal flames of hell. And, um, and so we need to get, to get out there and tell them that our God loves us so much. He sent his son to die on the cross um, for our sins. You know, you, you might be... You might be having a bad day. I know we've got a lot of people in church are struggling right now. And they need a lot of help, and they're hurting. And you might be having a, a bad day, and you feel like throwing in the towel. You feel like giving up. I think that's one of the qualifications of being a pastor. You've got to feel like quitting at least once a week, you know, just, or you're not doing your job or you don't care enough, you know. But sometimes you feel like throwing in the towel, and you feel like giving up, and you've got to remind yourself, you know what? My sins were nailed to the cross. Oh, yeah, but I messed up today or this or that or I can't handle this and maybe the boss is mad at me or whatever. Look, your sins were nailed to the cross. Your sins are covered by the blood of the lamb. And by the way, the lamb who was slain is also the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. You're hurting, you're battered, you're beaten, and you don't know the Lord, you come to him and you get his rest. If you do know him, you've got to just keep coming back for rest. Even though you're saved, your eternal destiny, that's been settled by King Jesus. Um, don't, don't stress out. Don't let the, the worries of the world batter you and knock you around. You remember that our God is bigger than any other God. He's the one true God. And our God loved us so much he died for us. And our sins were nailed to the cross. Our sins are covered by the blood of the Lamb. Now, Jesus became one of us and died on the cross for our sins. But King Jesus, he didn't stay dead. Satan and his demons wanted him to stay dead. In fact, I would argue that some of the most powerful people on the planet Earth right now, they wish he had stayed dead. And maybe they haven't studied the historical evidence for the resurrection. Maybe they haven't taken a look at the Shroud of Turin scientifically. And uh, so maybe they're, they're hoping that he really didn't rise from the dead let me tell you something. When the ancient church used to say this ancient creed, um, it still rings true today. And so we could say this to the most powerful people on earth, whether you want to bend the knee or not, Christ has died. Amen? Amen. Christ is risen. Amen? And Christ will come again. King Jesus is coming back for it. He's not going to leave us alone. This world is going to batter us and beat us down. And what do we do? We, get, we preach Jesus. 
We speak the truth in love. We love and we pray for our enemies, but Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. Don't let any... The last day is going to be mockers. They're here. Second Peter chapter 3. There's going to be mockers saying, where is the sign of his coming? And I'm like, what news, news source do you go to? Sign of his coming, they're all over the place. But that's our rallying cry. Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. And uh, 1 Corinthians 15, here's an ancient creed that goes back to the earliest days of Christianity. Even anti-Christian scholars like Marcus Borg and Gerd Ludmann, they, they said that this creed was probably formulated within the first year after Jesus' crucifixion because they believe Paul got it, got received this creed when he was baptized about it after he got saved on the road to Damascus about a year after Jesus was crucified. But 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 8, Paul says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. That's professional language of the rabbis, okay? Passing on to their disciples what was passed on to them, okay? And then what it follows sounds like a poem in Aramaic and like the Hebrew of Jesus' day, but it reads real choppy in the Greek. And it stands out from all the other text of 1 Corinthians. And so even critical New Testament scholars say, yeah, this was an ancient creed that goes back before the gospel spread among the Gentiles, the non-Jews. This goes back to the earliest days of Christianity. Someday, it, say, it goes to within three to seven years of the crucifixion. Marcus Borg and Gerd Ludmann, two anti-Christian scholars, uh, they say it goes to within the first year after the crucifixion, which means the events that went into the formulation of the creed had to be even earlier. So it takes you right back to the crucifixion itself and the resurrection itself. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ, that's calling Jesus the Messiah, died for our sins according to the scriptures, meaning it was predicted in the Old Testament. Uh, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. You know, Psalm 1610, God would not allow his holy one's body to see decay. Peter, on the Feast of Pentecost, he said, hey, David wasn't talking about himself when he wrote that psalm. We can visit his grave right now. Look at his bones. If the king of Israel, David, wasn't talking about himself, he had to be talking about another. And when you're the king of Israel, why talk about another unless... He's the Messiah. And so Peter saw that the empty tomb and the appearances of the risen Christ fulfilled that passage. By the way, when does a body see a body start to decay in that part of the world at that time with the temperature and everything? On the fourth day, which is why Lazarus's body stunk. It was on the fourth day. So before, for Jesus to be raised before uh, his body began to decay, yeah, he would have to be raised on the third day at the latest, okay? And, uh, and so um, going back to this creed, 
Christ died for our sins, according to Scripture. If you don't believe this creed, you're not a believer. You don't belong to King Jesus. And believe me, in Adam, we saw that passage a couple of weeks ago, in Adam, all die. So you think, well, I'm a human being, and I'm in the family of Adam. Human beings, they're descendants of Adam. Even Eve was a descendant of Adam because she was formed from his side. You're in Adam. Big deal. In Adam, all die. But in Christ, all will be made alive. So some people think, oh, good, and everybody's going to be saved. No, not everybody's in Christ. All humans are in Adam, but the only way to get in Christ, you have to trust in him for salvation. And then if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And uh, so we have to believe that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen. Some translations read and that he appeared to Cephas, that he was seen by Cephas. That's the Aramaic name for Peter. Boy, I would not want to be there in that meeting because Peter had just denied, a few days earlier, denied Jesus three times. He was seen by Cephas, then by the 12, the apostles. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. And then Paul adds to the creed, you know, if you don't believe me, go talk to these people, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. He's saying most of them are still alive. If you don't believe me, go talk to them. Then he gets back to the creed. After that, he was seen by James. That's Jesus' half-brother who mocked him. And then all of a sudden... Uh, uh, 50 days after the crucifixion, he's one of the leaders in the Jerusalem church. What happened? This happened. That's what it takes for a guy to believe his big brother's the Messiah and God incarnate and the Savior. You're going to need to see him risen from the dead, having conquered death. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Because um, the first trip to the apostles, doubting Thomas wasn't there. Um, and then Paul adds to the creed his own eyewitness account. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. See, a baby's usually born in the ninth month. Paul's saying, it's as if I was born in the 11th month. Why? Because all the other post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, they were all before Jesus ascended to heaven. And then a year later, he appears to Paul. He leaves the throne room of the Father for this special appearance to the Apostle Paul to commission him to be the Apostle to the Gentiles. And so he says, I'm, I'm like one untimely born. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Verse 17. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Let me tell you, this is Super Bowl Sunday. Some of us are going to watch the Super Bowl and eat some good food. Well, why not just wake up late on Super Bowl Sunday? Why not just wake up late and, you know, 11, 12, 1 o'clock? And, you know, maybe somebody's watching online. <laughs> In their pajamas. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to zero in on anybody here. I'm just, I'm just giving an illustration. Take it light. Um, but you know, why not just relax and wake up late? 
and then you get washed up, and then have friends over, and you watch the Super Bowl and all. Why are you here? You're here because you don't believe your faith is in vain. You're here because you don't believe your faith is futile. Okay? And, um, you know, there were some churches a few years back where, I don't know if it was when the Seahawks were in the Super Bowl, but they were canceling Sunday service for the Super Bowl. That's kind of creepy. You know, but I'll be honest with you, though. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, we're the fools because we're still dead in our sins. My preaching is a waste of time. Your faith is worthless. We might as well just get up late and watch the Super Bowl. But we're here. And we're here because we believe this. And I tell you, if they ever move the Super Bowl from 3.30 Pacific Standard Time to 10 o'clock Pacific Standard Time, which they'll never do because of the East Coast. But if they did, Trinity Bio Fellowship would still have service. You know, we would still have service because, hey, I'm into football. I like football. Uh, my team hasn't won for over 40 years, but, um, uh, but it's okay to like things, but you got to love Jesus. You got to love the triune God. I'm telling you, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we're a bunch of fools. And guess what? The world is trying to convince us right now that we're fools because we believe in dumb stuff, like there's only two genders. Like Jesus said, he's got a pretty, Jesus got a pretty good report card, even with the world that hates him. They still can't slam the guy. And uh, Jesus said in the beginning he made them male and female. Now, I'm not good at math. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that sounds like two. Two genders. We had two high school students got in trouble. They showed up to school with a shirt that said there are only two genders. <laughs> so they got in trouble, but then they called a big meeting in the school district and, um, and said, no, you can't expel them, can't kick them out for doing that. That's freedom of speech. And I was like, wow. They're actually, public schools are actually recognizing the freedom of speech to, to bring some truth into the public schools. What's going on here? And, um, but... Um, but, you know, the world is totally right. We are fools if Jesus did not rise from the dead. So don't go around telling people, I'm a Christian, but I don't, you know, I don't believe in the virgin birth or the bodily resurrection. Well, then you're not a Christian. A Unitarian Universalist Church on Prairie Avenue. When I used to speak up at Kitsap County Human Rights Council meetings to represent evangelical Christians, they used to write letters. There'd be like five or six people, and they'd take turns, making it look like 18 or 19 people. Uh, slamming me as being dangerous and letters to the editor of the old Bremerton Sun and calling me a terrorist just like James Dobson, a focus of the family. I was like, boy, I'd hate to bump into... Right, right Pedro, if you were in the Bronx, wouldn't you hate to bump into uh, James Dobson on a dark night in an alleyway? It's like, no, that's not scary. What are you talking about? So I didn't even respond to that because they, once they brought James Dobson into it, it was like, hey... Anybody who knows James Dobson knows that he's not a terrorist, and I'm not a terrorist. Just because I, all I was doing was just fighting. They were taxpayers' money, using our taxpayers' money um, to do um, homosexual drama in the public schools, and it was an obvious ploy to uh, recruit young people to the homosexual lifestyle. And um, 
The Unitarian Universalist Church, they don't believe Jesus is God. They're more new age and politically correct. And um, so if those people are meeting today, yeah, they're fools. Because they don't even believe he rose from the dead. Okay? Why would you, why would you even gather to celebrate in an assembly that's supposedly a Christian assembly, assemblies that supposedly gather to proclaim some guy who just died 2,000 years ago, okay? I mean, a dead Messiah equals dead Messiah movement. You can't rescue Israel if you're dead. When Jesus died, his Messiah movement died, but then he came back to life. Why did he come back to life? Because that dead Messiah came back to life. And so we're here because not only Christ has died, we're here because Christ is risen. Because he rose from the dead. You know, there's a song, it was like, because he rose, I can face tomorrow. That's true. That's true. You often wonder, you know, with all the changes in the philosophy of education, am I a dinosaur? Am I too old to teach on the high school level? I mean, I still love this. The students, but uh, they might try to put this guy out the pasture. I don't know. Do you know many people who are looking to hire 64-year-old guys? That's scary. But I could face tomorrow. Why? Because he rose. Because he rose, I know my Redeemer liveth, and he will take his stand upon the earth. Um, I mean, John would be the first to tell you, Wayne, uh, yesterday was a time of rejoicing. The world would probably look at us like we're fools. This Arthur was a nice guy, and you're all happy, happy and rejoicing? Yeah, because he got promoted before we did, okay? Well, how do you know he's in heaven? You know how we know he's in heaven? An empty tomb and appearances of the risen king? You know, um... I think it was Tom Steele who quoted from uh, Romans 10, 9, if you uh, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Paul said, you've got to believe Jesus is Yahweh and he is God and you've got to believe that God the Father raised him from the dead or you're not saved. There are certain doctrines. We can disagree on lots of different doctrines, but on the essential doctrines, we have to agree. If you, don't, if you don't believe Jesus is God the Son, become a man, he died on the cross for your sins and bodily rose from the dead, was born of him, you're, you're not one of us. Okay? Get it clear in your head what we as Christians believe. Don't wait till the government knocks down your door in the middle of the night and they point rifles in your head and then you're, you're thinking, okay, what is it I'm not supposed to deny here? Okay? I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, you got to decide which side you're on. Make that decision now while you're coherent. Not when you wake up in the middle of the night because it's banging on your door, guys sticking rifles in your face. Um, make that decision now. Decide which side you're on. you got to side with the saints of old, like, like Joshua says, but it's for me and my house we will serve the Lord. Oh, yeah, Joshua, even if they put a gun to your head, if Joshua were alive today, he'd say, yeah, even if they put a gun to my head. We serve the crucified 
and risen king. He allowed himself to be humiliated, died the most shameful, humiliating way possible to cover my shame, to cover your shame. But it didn't, it didn't stop on Friday night on Calvary. That story picked up on Sunday morning at a garden tomb. And so we worship the risen king. In fact, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Christianity would have died. It would have just been another dead Messiah movement. Gee, that didn't work out too well. And he probably would have went down history as a great Jewish prophet. But a dead guy who stayed dead, what help could he be to us? I mean, our greatest enemy. What is our greatest enemy? Our greatest enemy is death. If death conquered Jesus, he's not going to be any good to us. Okay? If Jesus is not risen from the dead, our faith is worthless, our preaching is worthless, we're still dead in our sins. But if he's risen from the dead, we have something nobody else has. If he's risen from the dead, we have hope. You know, Douglas visited his parents, 89 years old, he said, right? And um, so they're a little older than me. And um, but Douglas visited his parents. And when he went to visit them, they had a great son. But they didn't have something until Douglas talked with them. They didn't have a little thing called hope. And now they have hope because they have Jesus, the crucified, risen Savior. And Jesus is our hope. Jesus is the only hope this world will ever know. You know, yeah, I can remember in uh, the saddest phrases in all the Bible was when the two disciples on the road to Emmaus They were really bummed out. So Jesus had risen. He came alongside them. And I guess you're not expecting to see a dead guy a few days after he died. And he said, why are you guys so sad? He said, you, you the only guy in Jerusalem that hasn't heard about this? That Jesus of Nazareth was a great miracle worker and a prophet, and we thought he was the one. We had hoped that he is the one, but they killed him. We had hoped. You know, I can remember watching Raider football playing the Steelers, and the Raiders were like the, high, the best winning percentage in the 60s and the 70s, but they could never win the big game. And they're losing to the Steelers 6 nothing. They brought an unknown guy, Kenny Stabler, off the bench. He drove him down the field and ran it in from 31 yards out. The Raiders went up 7-6. to six. Now in the closing seconds, we just got to stop the Steelers. And they got it to fourth and ten. And me and my brother are watching. One more incomplete pass from Terry Bradshaw. The game's over. The Raiders win and they move on. And the Raiders were favorites to beat an undefeated team named the Miami Dolphins. They had the Dolphins number, but they hadn't played during a regular season. Bradshaw went back to pass. He almost got sacked, shrugged the guy off, threw a Hail Mary up there, and Jack Tatum leaped into the air and swatted it down. And when he swatted that down, his feet hit the ground, and him and George Atkinson, they leaped into the air, 
And me and my brother Mark, we leaped into the air. And before our feet hit the ground, we saw this evil, evil man named Franco Harris. <laughs> In the corner of the screen, scooping up the ball, the referee said before it hit the ground, I'm convinced it must have hit the ground. I didn't see it. I didn't see it hit the ground, but it must have hit the ground. But he scooped it up and ran. And so when our feet hit the ground, then me and my brother Mark, our knees hit the floor. Because we had hoped. We had hoped the Raiders would win it. But we had to wait a few more years for uh, the snake to help the Raiders get their first Super Bowl. But um, Muhammad Ali made a comeback. It was like, man, this guy's from a whole other generation. Because, you know, when you're, when you're 11 years old, a three-year layoff is like, man, that's like a whole different... This is a guy from my dad's generation coming back, and he was undefeated. And so we were rooting for Muhammad Ali, all my relatives. Um, we're rooting for Frazier because they were, they, they, were, they were prejudiced. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying everybody who rooted for Frazier was prejudiced, but my mother's side of the family, they, were, they, didn't, they couldn't tolerate loud black athletes, proud black athletes. You had to be quiet like Joe Frazier or Joe Lewis before him. And so we were caught a lot of flack, me, my brother Mark, and my dad. And um, we were rooting for Ali. We used to, you even used to go see Ali fights at a theater in Newark. And we were the only three white guys that walked in, but there was something more about it because everybody was in a state of shock looking at us. They'd be like, when we walked in, you know, we just couldn't understand. And until they saw us cheering, Ali, Ali, then they'd pat us on the back when Ali would land a punch and stuff, and we kind of got adopted into their family, which I didn't know for decades what kind of family that was. Um, but um, it was a theater in Newark, New Jersey, one of the toughest cities in the country. And I asked my dad when he was in his 80s, he was watching TV, his hands behind his head. And I was there with my, my brother-in-law, Tom, with a New York accent. And I asked my dad, I said, what's the name of that theater? And my dad said, it was called the Mosque Theater, M-O-S-Q-U-E, Mosque. And so it was basically a theater run by black Muslims. And these three white guys, and it seated like 5,000 people. And, um, and so I turned to my, uh, my brother-in-law, Tom. He looked at me, he said, your father was a very naive man, you know? <laughs> and uh, so we had, we had hoped that Ali was going to beat Frazier. And Ali decided he didn't want to train like he used to, so he tried to do the rope with dope. It didn't work on Frazier. It didn't work on um, Ken Norton. Later on, it worked really, really well on uh, George Foreman. But uh, on that night, Ali lost the decision. He even got knocked down in the uh, 15th round, but we had hoped. And, um, and there's other stories I can go into. We have so much hope. The two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they had hoped that Jesus was the one. And death has a way of shattering hope. Man's greatest enemy is death. Blaise Pascal said, imagine a number of men in chains each one getting slaughtered one at a time, and you know your number's coming up. And then he said, this is the human condition. We had a memorial yesterday. Someday you're going to be at your own memorial. 
And your soul's not going to be there, but your, your old body is. And you got to face that. Death is real. Death is your greatest enemy. Pascal argued, until you find deliverance from, from death, life's not even worth living. What are you going to do, divert your attention, wallow in despair, or are you going to look for deliverance? That's why Blaise Pascal said only two kinds of people could call themselves wise. Those who seek God with all their hearts because they don't know him, and those who serve God with all their hearts because they do know him. Brothers and sisters, we're not fools. When you parked with the lousy parking we have, we're going to park all over the place. And you come into this building. It's a nicer building than we used to meet in, let's face it. No basketball hoops. Or... But you come here, and let me tell you, brothers and sisters, the world, the world thinks we're fools. The world thinks we're idiots. But we're not fools. Because our king loves us. And he is risen, and he's risen indeed. And uh, look a little further in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verses 20 to 26. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since man, by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so, in Christ, all should be made alive. You better make sure you're in Christ. You better make sure you're in the Lamb's book of life. You better make sure you're in Jesus' family. You better make sure you're trusting in Jesus alone for salvation. But each one in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits. Afterward, those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Okay? Jesus is, death is our greatest enemy. If you don't have deliverance over death, you know, he, Bill Gates, what would Jesus' message be to Bill Gates? I mean, it's right there in the Bible. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So, Mr. Gage, stop acting like we Christians are the losers. We're not. Okay? We win because our Savior has conquered the grave, and someday he's going to come back and take what is rightfully his. Okay? Um, never give, you give on the resurrection, you've given up on Jesus. Okay? And then uh, look at 1 Corinthians 15. This is not in your notes, but verses 54 to 56. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 54 to 56. This is when we're changing the twinkling of an eye, okay? Um, when our mortal bodies put on immortality. 1 Corinthians 15, 54, to, to, in fact, 54 to 58. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, 
and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Okay, why is it that we're not wasting our time here today? Because he rose from the dead. Why is it that my preaching is not futile and a waste of time today? Because he rose from the dead. Why is your faith not futile? Because he rose from the dead. Why are we not the fools in 2024 in America? Because he rose from the dead. My God loves me. Your God loves you. Your God died for you, became one of us and died for you. And your God rose from the dead and conquered death for you. And someday he's coming back to defeat his enemies and to rescue his loved ones. And so uh, we're not wasting our time today. On Super Bowl Sunday, we could, people could laugh, say, what did you, you do on Sunday? Well, I went to church, and then I watched the Super Bowl. You went to church on Super Bowl Sunday? Oh, you got to tell people, you got to quote Paul. For this reason, I suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed. Even if they lock us up for preaching Jesus, don't be ashamed. For this reason, I suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed, because I know whom I have believed in. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Okay? Our faith is not in vain. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Our king has conquered man's greatest enemy, uh, death. And so Jesus took our punishment for us when he died on the cross as a substitute sacrifice for our sins. And then he conquered man's greatest enemy, death, um, when he rose, bodily rose from the dead, okay? So right now, Jesus has ascended to heaven and sits at the ultimate position of authority in the universe. He's seated at the Father's right hand, and he will someday visibly return to earth to reign upon the earth for a thousand years, okay? And we'll be talking about that uh, next week. So our profession of faith, we know our sins were nailed to the cross. Our sins are covered by the blood of the Lamb. Our profession of faith, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. And we'll talk about that next week. He's coming back. And the world laughs and the world mocks. Thinks we're uneducated buffoons. We need to tell the world. Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ is coming back. He will return. Our king will return and make things right uh, upon the earth. And because of that, our faith is not futile. We're no longer dead in our sins. All the glory goes to Jesus. We trust in him for the free gift of salvation. And um, our preaching is not in vain. But then like Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, the work, the labor we do in the Lord is not in vain. Why? Because Jesus is victorious over death. 
God's going to have some work for you to do today, brothers and sisters. He's going to have some work for you to do tomorrow. Our buddy, Arthur, went to be with the Lord. We never know when our day's coming up. By the way, right back there, Arthur was talking with me, and he's asking me questions about my sermon. He had his little pad out and everything, and just business as usual. And within a few days, he was in the hospital. Then we get word he's not taking visitors. Then we get word he's over in Seattle. And, um, And then we get word. He's with the Lord. But whether you got a a day, a week, a month, a year, a decade, two decades, I tell you what you do. In your own way, some of us are loud, some of us are quiet. In your own way, you preach Jesus. Because he died for our sins. He conquered death. He rose from the dead. But the king is coming back. We need to shout that from the rooftops. Our king will come. And I don't care what the powerful people of this world say. Our king is coming back. And uh, who's going to tell people about Jesus if not the church? If not us, then who? We've got to tell them King Jesus is coming back. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. What a perfect time to reaffirm our trust in Jesus and our belief that Jesus allowed his body to be broken for us and his blood shed for us so that we could celebrate his death on the cross of Calvary. We've been doing it for church, we've been doing it for 2,000 years. And we keep celebrating until what? Until he returns in glory. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again.